Welcome to I Swear on My Mother's Grave. My name is Dana Black, and in 2016, I lost my mom. And now I'm talking to other people who have also lost their moms. And I don't just mean in death, because there are so many ways you can lose a mother. And we're going to get into it. So let's talk about our moms. Welcome back. After my mom died, I would use the phrase, my mom slowly killed herself to describe what happened to my mom. It just felt like the easiest way to explain what had happened to her. And I'm not totally sure if I believe it. I'm not exactly sure if I understand it. But it just felt right. My mom's depression and her emotional and physical anguish, her addiction, that was just the easiest way to explain it. She slowly left this earth. And every time I said that phrase, I felt guilty for saying it around people who might have actually lost a parent or a loved one to suicide. Was what happened to my mom the same as what happened to their mom? Today's guest is someone that I have been wanting to talk to for months. I have had a draft email in my draft folder since I started this podcast to this person, and I could just never press send. I don't totally know what I was so nervous about. I think a part of me was nervous that they wouldn't want to talk to me or it would be too difficult to talk to me. But I think the truth is that I was nervous to talk to them. Our stories are not identical. Our mothers are not identical, but what happened to her mom and what happened to mine, they sort of sit next to each other, and they're really similar. In this episode, we're going to talk about suicide, and then we're going to stop talking about suicide. And instead, we're going to talk about my guest's mother's love of nursing, her love of New York City, her love of her children, her love and support of her daughter's comedy career even though she was nervous that her daughter would one day write a show about her. We're going to talk about how my guest got drunk and fell asleep on her own mother's grave. We're going to talk about my guest's mother celebrating her daughter's first period by taking her to Chicago to see a musical. In this episode, when I reference my guest's writings, it's because they sent me a document about 24 hours before our interview with some musings around their mother. In it, my guest says that her mother was a short, feisty New Yorker living in Indiana, and everyone loved her accent. This is Caitlin Costello. I knew I wanted to talk to you because your story is so unique. It doesn't happen to a lot of people, suicide. But also mm -hmm. the fact that I very casually, a lot of the time, say, my mom slowly killed herself. I use that phrase... Mm. I flagrantly say it because it's true to me. That's what addiction okay. can also look like and depression and pain. She slowly kind of just gave up. Even though she yes. wanted to stay here, she was beyond the point of no return. But you, right. you literally dealt with suicide. So there's this weird part of me that feels guilty about saying that, even though why do we quantify one over the other, and why do we even need to justify how we interpret someone taking their own life or leaving this earth, right? Right. So that's something I really want to talk about. Great. You said her suicide was the greatest act of love. I have to believe that. Because when I don't, when I think that she chose to leave me, 
Instead, I think about how much she was suffering with her anxiety, how much she worried about holding us back, making us worry. She considered herself a burden to our daily lives and our potential futures. She couldn't have been more wrong, and every day I will wonder what I could have done or said differently. Yes. Yes. I do have to actively choose how I interpret her suicide. Mm-hmm. And when I'm above the line, when it's a good day, I recognize it for what I think if she could have had any sense of um, analytical thinking during this height of her depression and anxiety, that she thought she was unburdening her family, that her illness was incapacitating to all, and that she thought we would be better off. And of course, she was wrong, Mm. but that's what mental illness does. It puts you in a state of not being able to really have perspective. And then there are the days I'm below the line. It's a bad day. And I think she chose to leave me. My mother chose to leave my life. And I can't go there because I don't necessarily believe that. It's where I can get to, but I believe depression doesn't allow people to choose between two options. It presents one option and that is what she had to do. And you talk about how you didn't see it or didn't fully understand what you were seeing with her weight loss, her anxiety. Many people have panic attacks and function and it keep didn't going. occur to me to be the healthy one, to have a role reversal, even for a short period of time. Hmm. I... I didn't see all of the writing on the wall so much so that she came to visit. Well, my dad, her and my grandparents all came to visit when I was living on the cruise ship working for second city. And she was really bad. It was only a month before she died and she was not doing well, but I had no idea. Hmm. And her behavior on the ship I thought was, seasickness or like discomfort with small places or annoyance that she was on this cruise ship again, like visiting her daughter because they had done this same trip two years earlier, not knowing that I was ever going to be working on a cruise ship. Mm -hmm. And this full out anxiety attack and huge surge of depression that I witnessed coming from her on the cruise ship, I didn't recognize it to be that until weeks later, she called and she said, your dad is making me call you to tell you that I'm unwell. I'm depressed. And I said, what do you mean he's making you call me? And she's, he then explained to me later 
that it is so bad that she is unable to get off the couch all day long, just nails grinding into the arm of the couch. Unable to eat, difficulty sleeping, that he knew that the right thing to do was to have her children know that, to call my brother and I. That's so hard on your father. Yeah. I it can yeah. really was. But it wasn't news to him. Mm-hmm. So he knew on that cruise ship. He yes. saw it on that cruise ship. And you didn't speak about it on that trip. You didn't ask, hey, you seem really anxious or no, you seem dizzy I or yeah. yeah. Didn't have the perspective to consider someone that has always been the caretaker, the nurse, the, nurse. the mother might not be able to fulfill those roles anymore. And I was being a professional comedian. I Hello. was yeah. <laughs> drinking yeah. to myself to oblivion every night. Yes, and. <laughs> uh-huh. Getting uh-huh. paid for it. Living the life. And I, I don't, you know, of course, suicide, like they say, everyone's trying to look for something to blame. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, heart attack. How could right. I have missed it? I mean, you said every day I'll wonder what I could have done or said differently. Every which day. sounds like a cliche, but right every day you're like, could I have done this? Could I have done that? Or your dad. Oh, I I can't even, yeah. The poor man. I'm he lives the best life one could write for a widower of hmm. suicide. 30-year marriage. They were so in love. And he has chosen to live the way that I'm trying to, of she's not gone so that we hold back. She wants us to go do that big bike trip around the Netherlands that we're talking about. She wants us to move across country Mm -hmm. if need be. So... While we're continuing to be in deep mourning and questioning every day, what could we do differently? What didn't I ask her? Why is that the last thing I said to her? Um, He's wondering if he pushed her too hard to try to go on walks during her depression or if he, um, you know, should have suggested different medication. He'll never be able to have anything else to blame is the kind of problem with suicide, a heart attack or a car crash or anything. We always know where we can point the finger. What is the last thing she said to you? You just referenced it. Yeah. The last thing she said to me was, um, you seem happy. Over the phone? Over the phone. And I didn't respond because at that point I knew she wasn't. I had been told by her, oh, I don't know, a few days earlier. So you didn't respond because why? I felt bad for being happy. Mm -hmm. Or I didn't quite understand why she said that. I was just on my way to Joanne Fabrics to pick up something for my new condo that I had just moved into. I was off the cruise ship, had a couple job interviews, And she interpreted my just running errands, telling her what I was doing that day. And I 
think it might have been a goodbye, you know, in whatever way she was able to plan or comprehend what she wanted to do. I'll never know. But it might have been a, okay, you don't need me anymore. I can go. But had I had the opportunity, I would have told her, I absolutely need you. Hmm. And I'll need you for all of these other things that come in my life that I can't even predict yet. But if she can't give you that, right? Or if she's too far gone, then, or feeling as if she's unable to be joyful with you or support you, Mm-hmm. Why stick around? But yet it's so hard. It's so hard as a society. We have to have kindness, and yet we get really angry for people who leave mm-hmm. their children, too. Like, I am assuming you feel anger even when you understand that it's the thing she thought she had to do, right? I feel that anger part of it is so complicated and it's so complicated. And I think it's more disappointment than anger mm-hmm. because I, I have so much empathy. Of course. Right. Empathy, but there's disappointment and, sh- yeah. and yeah. And maybe shame, but I don't know how you feel around it, but so yeah. much, you know, the irony being she felt so much shame for being ill Mm-hmm. that I think it was a motivating factor for her suicide. And mm. then suicide itself being such a shameful act by normal societal standards, right? by the Catholic Church that we, Notre Dame Basilica, had her funeral mm. in. Mm. And some family not even being able to explain her death that way or being embarrassed that my dad wrote the obituary with the first line saying she died of complications with depression that's brave too it right there most people don't you don't even you keep it out you keep Mm -hmm. right any commentary on and usually that but that's usually also when you know that someone might have taken their own life because there Mm -hmm. isn't a lot of specifics But being honest about depression is brave. Yeah, I agree. And I'm not embarrassed or shamed by that. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to counter that a bit. I don't go Mm -hmm. walking down the street telling anybody that asks. Or even I found myself not telling some people that I just don't encounter on a frequent basis, I'd see them six months later. And I didn't tell them why, because I started to recognize that suicide is one of those, the response that you get from someone else, then you're taking care of them. Oh, I'm sure they're so upset. And then I have to be like, it's okay. I hope you're all right. (laughs) Right. That's so true. It's not okay. (laughs) It's not. And I'm so sorry. And it's your mother, like you said, in terms of celebrities these big names, your, some of your writing talked about how that's fascinating to process someone you don't know dealing with depression or suicide. And then when it's your own family yes, and no one knows your story, 
like they don't know a celebrity's in, internal workings of right. what that family was going through. I'm yeah. so glad that we know why some of these big celebrities or know that some of these big celebrities have committed suicide and that we don't mm-hmm. just hear, you know, unknown oh, right. causes or something. Right, right. That we actually talk about it. Yeah. That we actually mm-hmm. specify and talk about it. But the societal reaction to celebrity suicides, so triggering to me. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody posts online, if if you need someone to talk to, come talk to me, or here's a suicide hotline number. Hmm. Okay, I'm so glad that you feel good that you're taking some sort of action. But it's not that easy. It's hmm. not that if she had seen somebody post, mm-hmm. you can talk to me. She had mm-hmm. dozens mm-hmm. of people to talk to. It's not that we weren't sensitive enough. Right. That's how sick she was. You didn't come home from Chicago to her house. Like, that would have changed everything. Right. No. It might have made it worse. Back mm. to her shame and her embarrassment of her children knowing that she was sick. Yeah. Yeah. Private. An private. immensely private person, always. What do you wish more people then did in those moments of... Call the suicide hotline and, and the, what do you wish was more of what was said in the ethos? That's a great question. And it's yeah, so Do you have relative. all the answers? Do you have all the answers? No, nope. no, nope. no, nope. no. Nope. Nope. <laughs> right. It's so relative to each person. But you know, the things that have always been nicest for me, my friend Michelle once asked me like, what was your favorite thing about her? Hmm. Just a kind of a random question. The opportunity to talk about her is so nice. I think the term suicide survivors is ridiculous, but that's Mm. what they called my dad, my brother, and I. And I went to a survivors of suicide group. I never felt like I survived suicide. You know, she didn't is the thing. That's what they call it. And I went to this support group for young people, 18 to 35, who had lost a close family member or partner to suicide. They teach you not to compare your grief, you know, rank grief with other people. Sure. <sighs> sure is hard, though, when you're the only one there for a woman, the only mm. person in the whole room who's lost a woman or a mother. And you start to feel victimized, you know, like, this happened to me. Mm-hmm. This didn't happen to anyone else. No one else gets it. And I think that's a stage, right? Part of the processing. Unable to get out of that little drama triangle at that time. But then I find so much value in comparing, in saying, Dana, there are so many similarities with a mother who's an addict, who lets herself go. Like, that's a mental health issue, if mm-hmm. I may Never. be so bold right. to put right. that on you. Yeah, absolutely. And yet I feel like that's disrespectful, like I was saying, to say my mom slowly killed herself, even though that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. I go, I shouldn't compare what my mom went through to what you went through, even though they're quite similar. I just think, or because she didn't kill herself by hanging herself or, you know, any way. Immediate death. Immediate death, right? right? Mm -hmm. She just did it slowly over time. 
and she didn't want to leave me, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, God damn it. I usually make my guests cry. I knew it. <laughs> um, I, I knew it. I was I, like, this call is going to get me <laughs> out of feeling. Um, yeah, she didn't mean – she didn't want to leave me, but um, mm-hmm. she couldn't stay, you know? She and she couldn't stay. stay in that form anymore. Her body had shut down, you know? So mm-hmm. – but I always feel disrespectful when I say, oh, I'm so OCD. And it's like, you're not. You don't have OCD, right? Or my mom killed herself. It's, And then you literally are talking to someone. But again, I don't even know how your mom passed. And it doesn't even matter, right? I also don't even want to know. I just hmm. – but yet you know that it's suicide. You call it that. That's how you quantify mm-hmm. it. Um, but she could have slowly gone for years and years and years and years without – who knows? She could still be here and anxious and small and right. Right. And boy, I'm, and that wouldn't right. be pleasant. No, right. To Stuck witness. to her couch, never leaving her house. What a thing. Yeah. That she probably thinks she saved me from. Yeah. I would have loved to sit next to her on that couch. Yeah. yeah. But she. As the nurse, never talked about herself, always took care of everyone else. Mm. And not just in a way that we think nurses are caretakers. I mean, this woman literally never talked about herself and had many sick and wayward people under her care all Mm. the time. Mm -hmm. Family and friends. And she attracted that. Yeah. You said addicts. And why do you think that is? She has this selfless serving spirit and love to listen and get all of the stories and insight into somebody. Mm. And then you'd ask her a question about herself. And she had that wonderful way of bringing it back, not answering it and bringing it back to you. And you felt like the most amazing, interesting person in the room. And that's what everybody said about her, Mm. her best girlfriends at the funeral. I had no idea she was sick. No idea they said. Mm. And so, you know, in many ways, I thank my dad for having that conversation with my mom of like, you've got to tell your children because I want to tell them. And I think it'd be better coming from you. I thank him for giving me those two weeks of knowing this about her before she died. I mean, I certainly didn't expect her death, but I had a little bit more cushion and context. Whereas everybody else in the family and all of her Mm -hmm. book club and her nursing friends. No idea. No idea. That's why the questions were, oh, it must be a medicine mistake. Mm -hmm. It must be she just walked too close to a train. Nobody just walks too close to a train. Hmm. So I had that little bit more context and perspective in order to go into the Mm -hmm. funeral week with. That little gray area, though, there's so much power. And maybe she did just Uh take too many... Uh-huh. My mom in particular. Maybe she did just know. I mean, she she was sick, but she had a blood clot and a surgery. And then 
a gallbladder surgery and then but it's that maybe maybe she just passed away accidentally and she was tired and had a blood clot or she took too many hydrocodone that day mm-hmm. that that gray area a, a train is a little trickier but still there's that gray area of hope or that gray area of like can i put this in that you know mm-hmm. can i because it's an explanation it's an explanation and it it justifies all the there's nothing concrete then, I guess, right? Mm. When we had lunch a couple of years ago, I feel like we talked briefly about the idea of the magical nature of like your mom writing you a letter. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been nice, right? Mm-hmm. A diary entry or some romantic tale of goodbye, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you were like, no, no. No, no. Didn't get that. No, no. Didn't get that. Got a call. Got a call from so my dad. We, yeah, and got a call from mom saying, I, you seem happy. Oh, got but, that call from mom. Yep. Mm-hmm. But the romanticized, you're everything I wanted in a child. Right. Take care. Love you, you know. Dad said he went through the house top to bottom looking for a note and was so relieved that he didn't find one. Hmm. You know, everyone with a suicide experience in their family probably has a different perspective on this. But to think that she could have been able to write something down and to have planned, I think, would have been harder for us at that time. Hmm. Now? What do you think now? Um, But it's also like coulda, shoulda, woulda, right? Yeah. Well, maybe that's a little bit where the anger comes in a little bit or the disappointment. I, I like to think of it as, you know, mom, you should be here now. And I'm living in Flushing, Queens, where you grew up. I moved to the place you were born in. We have had such similar life experiences. Hmm. She moved across the country to Notre Dame, Indiana, got dumped, stayed. I moved across the country, got dumped, stayed. Wow, I recognize so much your loneliness, your bravery, what you went through. Mm -hmm. And she was pregnant with you when she arrived in Indiana? No. No, She got to Indiana and sometime later got pregnant with my brother. Ah, got it. Mm-hmm. My older brother, yeah. And that's what you mentioned. She might not be able to go back, back to New York. Yes, she. there was, uh, you know, an unmarried pregnant woman situation with her Catholic mother. Mm. So that was a big struggle that I never really got to talk to her about. The fact that I knew my brother was my half-brother was telling So my father was at my brother's birth. We think of ourselves as full siblings. Literally, my dad was at his birth. Oh. But nobody, there was no pretending that he was biologically related. It was honest and transparent. But it was not transparent enough and honest enough that we talked about it Mm. and what that means. It was just... This is the way it is, and it's accepted. Okay. Okay. But, but she, hey, Mom, was Grandma ever mad at you? Yes. Okay. So the guy she moved 
cross country with got her pregnant and then dumped her. There was Dip- another guy Ooh, in there. All right, mom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, girl. Okay. <laughs> so you're an only child biologically. Dead. But my brother, brother Michael, he lives in the Netherlands now. And um, yeah, we're tight. You're tight. Tight little threesome, the three of us now. That's great. Did you think you went to New York subconsciously? I mean, I know it was for a boy and I know you wanted to change maybe and you were like, let's do it. But was there a subconscious, I'm going to go live here where she was born and make a living? She loved New York. So. Oh, she loved New York. Yeah, had the accent, loved was tough. And and that Mm 9-11 was hard for her. I'd want to talk about that. You brought that up a few times in some of your writing to me. About yeah, that. she was such a New Yorker, and in South Bend, Indiana, was a fish out of water, and she loved Indiana and in that she had the yard and the space and the ease of life. But New York, we came back twice a year. Mm. Grandma and her sister living in Queens, and when New York suffered the nine eleven. The country, but New York mm-hmm. really suffered from 9-11. She created like this little photo collage in the dining room that lived there until she died in 2012. Wow. So for a decade. And according to my dad, post-mortem, her depression started after 9-11. She mourned her city so much. She was mm. so homesick. And, you know, chemically, whatever is happening Mm -hmm. in your brain, Hmm. kicked off. And so, yeah, Dina, I think I always felt like I was supposed to live in New York. Mm -hmm. And I tried to. There was a period of time when my parents lived here. They moved to Africa for a couple years to do nursing work. Hmm. And when their time there got cut a little short due to some political unrest, they were there for about two years. They didn't want to go back to Indiana, and they said, let's go to New York. Let's be close to my mom's family for Did they go to Africa as, like, missionary type? Was it a My mother would say, no, I'm not a missionary. I'm a nurse, and I'm doing my job. Great. Mm -hmm. Okay. She and my dad did clinical drug trials, HIV vaccines, Hmm. but that was kind of a slow red tape bureaucratic process. And so what they did spent most of their time doing was clinic for like tuberculosis and all other sorts of stuff. And I got to go and I got to sit in an exam room with her and I got to watch this five foot little Italian woman point her finger up in the face of a six foot tall African man say, do not come back here next week without your wife and without your mistress because they both deserve to know hmm. that they are HIV positive. And he said, you can't tell me what to do. And she said, I have a responsibility to them even though I've not met them yet. And my dad wow. would say, Lois, you can't go around doing that. And my mom would say, I care and worry about these women. And that's a missionary of (laughs) feminist proportions. Yes. Feminist scientific proportions. Wow. Just a little badass. She was a rock star. Wow. 
Yeah, you talked about how a lot of people would talk to her about friends, family, about contraception, safe sex. Yes. So did my mom, because my mom taught biology, so she was very open about talking about right. all of it. Abortion. Yeah. When I had one, you know, she was really direct and clear about it's five weeks, you'll be back at work tomorrow. <laughs> Your dad Amazing. is freaking out, but I'm fine. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I need you to know it's all good, you know? Wow, was it... Great hearing. It's yeah, all good it was, from your mother. Just, yeah, saying this happens every day, multiple times a day, all mm -hmm. over the world. You have the right to go. You have the right to be safe, and you'll be back on your feet probably within 24 hours. And she was right, you know. So, mm -hmm. but that people would call my friends, would like talk to her about periods or just like, Joe, what about the ovaries, you know, or even plants, you know, she talked about the ovaries on plants and female plants, but then if it was people. <laughs> such a biologist. Right, such a biologist. So I loved seeing that in the writing you shared about. The one safe place in South Bend, Indiana for such conversations yeah. in this super Catholic community. Yeah. She told me once, the reason I could love your brother so much and be a single mom to him until I married your dad was because I had the option to keep him. And I, of course, exploded. What do you mean? You thought about having an abortion with my brother? Oh, my God, you monster. Right. 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 I've talked about abortion a few times in these, and I'm always like, which episode am I finally just going to be like, let her rip? You know, <laughs> I don't know. I just have been kind of, you know, people are weird. I don't want hate. <laughs> and yet... And yet, honoring my mom, it's the truth, right? You go, this is something that happened to me in my life. This is what she said. It was important yeah. to me. And, but then I go, I don't want to put it out in the world. But your mom, I mean, your mom is saying, bring your mistress and your wife over here. She's ballsy. You know, she's... She was. Yep, she was. She was somebody to model yourself after, that's for sure. Yeah. Well... Can you talk about the whole tailgating and passing out on her grave plot? You were yeah. thinking of, I swear, in my mother's grave, and you said, I've got a grave story. I saw the title of your podcast, I Swear in My Mother's Grave, and I just chuckled. My dad buried my mother in Cedar Grove Cemetery at Notre Dame paid a premium mm. for it to face the direction of touchdown Jesus. And this cemetery is like historical and so Notre Dame affiliated. She was a Queens girl. She didn't care about Notre Dame. It's just where she found herself. But, you know, my dad had this perspective of it'll be really nice when you come home and you can visit her. She'll be close. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that. And then shortly after her death, the times I would come home would be for Notre Dame games, hop down from Chicago, and you get wasted tailgating for Notre Dame games. You try to drink as much as you possibly can because you can't buy alcohol in the stadium. So you get real warm on the booze out at these tailgates and you've got all the family, friends, different tailgates that you hit up and everybody knows everybody and it's generations and it's great. And then I would leave at like halftime because I don't really care or like football that much. Yeah. And walking back to my dad's or my uncle's house or my grandparents' house, everybody down the street from Notre Dame, stop by at my mom's 
Grave, sit down, talk to her a little bit. I'm tipsy. And then one time I just like woke up three hours, four hours later, <laughs> passed out on the grass right in front of her grave. Oh. And of course, she's like, if, she, you know, I could hear her little voice from up in heaven or whatever. Caitlin, what are you doing? Sober up, walk home. Do not do this again. <laughs> Caitlin? Oh my God, what are you doing? <laughs> my dad and I have a way of making ourselves feel better for our shortcomings. She was a great person, very private, did everything right. My dad and I screw up, have vices, talk publicly about her, mm. mm -hmm. knowing that she'd hate it. Mm. And we say to each other, we just say, well, she doesn't get a say anymore. It doesn't mean we don't love and respect her. We do. She's our number one. But she doesn't get a say anymore if the bottle of whiskey just lives on the counter now. <laughs> she doesn't get a say anymore if... She didn't enjoy it being left there? <laughs> no. No? No. She used to say when she was healthy, not even in her depression, she would say, your father has to remarry because he'll drink too much if I'm not here. Mm. She said that when she was feeling good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did she say that ever again? She got... I think to him, mm -hmm. I think she... I, I can ask him, but I remember him saying some things like she had suggested women that he could remarry, for example. And he said, what are you talking about? You're my one and only. So how do you think about your own genes and your genetics? And it's always a question that I... I'm curious with, you know, with depression and mental illness and. Sure. I bet you think about that I yourself do. a lot. I do. And especially drinking and being careful of how mm -hmm. much I am drinking, drinking alone or just being conscious of it or how much time I spend in bed. Because I'll have bouts sometimes of just like not wanting to get up because I'm tired usually, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. not because I'm always depressed, but I have to like really look at it and see what's. What's going on there? Um, everything means more. Yes, everything right? feels when you have heavy. Seen it reflected. Yeah, but I'm different than my mom, and so are you. Mm. So I was just curious how that comes up for you. It's funny timing that you asked that question about genetics. I recently have gotten some health news and been mm. diagnosed with a genetic condition that um, results in some pretty big things like mm. premature ovarian failure. Uh, possible neurological disorders. I seem to be fine. They've run the tests, but okay. it's something to look out for the future. And the big one, the one that makes me just want to hug her so much is that 50% of the women with the condition I've recently been diagnosed with report extreme depression and anxiety. And it's genetic. Mm. And you think she had this? Well, or, uh, you know, I told the counselor when he said, so you know, 50% of women experience this. Could that be you? And I was like, well, hmm. let's not even talk about me right now. Let's talk about my mom. Yeah. You and I know, we know that mental health and wellness is deep. It manifests itself. Mm -hmm. It's not, 
anybody who says just get out of bed or right. go for it, right. they don't understand. Right. But here's four doctors I saw during this session telling me that it's like literally could be on your chromosomes. Yeah. It's wild. Wild. But I'm not going to worry about what could happen to my future mm-hmm. and, you know, have this anxiety around it because of whatever I can't control in my future. But it makes me so reflective to the past and to her experience. And if it is all in any way related, you just want to, I just have so much empathy for her. Yeah. Me too. I mean, my mom had a horrible back surgery and it's like, if she hadn't have had that, I mean, Mm -hmm. she'd still have some addiction issues, but I don't think she'd be in as much pain. Oh my gosh. A back surgery, of course, the amount of pain and painkillers. Right. And just like neuropathy. And I wish she never had that surgery and had a battery put in her back to massage the muscles and the nerves. And that didn't work. So I have empathy for, for her going through that surgery, you know, and it doesn't mean that nothing that like all of it is all for naught, like that, that would have changed her trajectory, but it might've, you know? Yeah. But it's, but again, it would have, could have, should have, da, 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 da. I can't. But we do. But we do. I know. know. We can't, but we do. It's like, and maybe if your mom had moved back to New York City, right, after 9-11, right? right? She loved it so much. She missed it. She was there with her people. Mm -hmm. Who's to say, though, if that would have solved it? I know. What was was on that collage? It was pictures of family, her cousins and stuff in New York. It was the Twin Towers, Hmm. probably like a postcard Mm -hmm. of that. There might have been some hokey pictures from... Things we've done on family trips, like going to, you know, one of the late night shows or Mm -hmm. Regis and Kathy Lee taping. Um, She was a big fan of theater and live shows and stuff. Certainly very influenced by that. Did she love love watching you perform? Yes. She loved watching me perform and would always say, oh, you're not going to do a show about me one day, are you? Like, just <laughs> terrified that she would be the butt of a piece of comedy. Um, but she was very proud. And one day when I said to her, I think I'm going to be a nurse like you and dad. She goes, oh, God, no. Do something more fun. And if you're going to go into healthcare, don't be a nurse. Make more money and be a doctor. Have you really thought? Not for, not for me. Yeah, I was like, have you really thought about being a nurse? You just thought, well, no. should I? I yeah. I did at one point. Yeah. And then you were like, eh. nah. Did you have a favorite like thing that you two did together, just the two of you? Hmm. Just the two of us. When I became a woman, she took me to Chicago. We stayed in the Drake Hotel. We went to see Showboat, oh. a traveling theater tour. And she told me repeatedly, Becoming a woman is a special thing. I'm so proud of you. This is a good thing. It's not something to be ashamed of. Try to hide. Explain away. We celebrated it. It was awesome. Mm. Were you 13, 12? I was pretty young. I think I was fifth grade. Oh. Fifth to sixth grade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you feel ashamed or by her saying that you did not 
How- I mean, I, I knew that it was a thing like we all whispered about, uh, you know, and in changing into gym class and stuff, but nobody had gotten it yet. Yeah. But the fact that she celebrated it and she told everybody, I, we went over to my aunt and uncle's house. And <laughs> I remember her just saying, oh, did you guys hear? Caitlin got her period. I was like, mom. <laughs> Are you there, God? It's me. <laughs> it's me, Margaret. <laughs> but I just knew, oh, yeah, this is a cool thing that I get to have that my brother doesn't get to have. My brother never got to go stay in a hotel in Chicago and see a Broadway traveling show. There's a lot of feminist. Yeah. <laughs> power, which has been so cool to hear. Like Right. And the things that we can learn about our mothers mm-hmm. after their death still. I recently learned that my mom was at the very first Earth Day, 1970, in the Boston Commons. Really? I was like, good for her. She was just That's there so cool. to celebrate it? it, it was just in... Yep. Just witness? Mm-hmm. With some of her best friends. Hmm. What else have yeah. you learned about your mom since her passing? Or how has your... Has your views of her shifted a bit? Great question. Well, the the shifting has certainly come with my personal experience. Wow. She must have been so lonely living in South Bend, Indiana as a New Yorker, Mm -hmm. having moved there for somebody, getting dumped, getting pregnant, her mom not wanting her to come back. And she stayed. The strength and bravery that that takes. She really poured herself into her nursing work and continued to take classes, higher education, doing a lot of um, like English classes at the local university, really into reading literature. And then after her death, it's been eight years now, I see an old family friend or my aunt, my mom's sister, and they just are flabbergasted. Wow, Caitlin, you look like her. Mm. You sound like her. You are doing such great things. She'd be so proud of you. And it's great to hear. Yeah. 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 I would love, oh, she's a beautiful woman. Accomplished. Fantastic to be compared Mm -hmm. is quite an honor. Yeah. Does anybody tell you that? Oh, yeah. I think I've only seen one picture of her, but I see it. Yeah, yeah. Shirley Um, Joe. But yeah, people say that whole, you know, lights up a room and a good host my mom talked to everybody like they were her best friend, equal, funny. That's you. You know, just very ballsy. Yeah, just gets in there and is like, would say stuff that only she – I'm like, how are you getting away with that? And that's sometimes people are like, how do you get away with the shit you say? I'm like, I'm fun. Um, but I think I think <laughs> my mom – my mom certainly had a gift. And just for being – but she's controlling and very – anal and I can be that way too and wanting things done a certain way but not high maintenance per se but just kind of it's hard for me not to want to kind of overtake a situation and be like I know how to do it I know how to do it Mm. or a group photo right oh my god I'm like I can do it give me the cameras I got this my mom was (laughs) always you stand there and you stand there and okay Jerry I need you to smile more it's like we're done mom we've done 10 photos for prom you know she is in the mix yes oh yeah I do that all the time but I think a lot of people remember my mom a certain way, like your mom, that feeling of, we had no idea. Mm-hmm. Your mom was so incredible. And you're like, she was. She's all of that. She's that. And she was extremely yeah, sick, she's sick and angry or mm-hmm. um, anxious or manipulative. My mom got could get very manipulative or just violent v- emotionally, verbally. Um, but it wasn't her talking, right? It was pain and drugs and depression. Mm -hmm. So 
Mm-hmm. But I, I think a lot of people remember her a certain way. So sometimes it's hard, even with the podcast. People are like, we can't wait. And you're like, well, it's not all going to be what you might remember. And that's okay. Right. But right. they, but some people want to remember her that way, right? I'm sure there's people in your life too. Or yeah, why would we want to well, think of her as sick or you know? She was different things to different people, right? Mm-hmm. And why? And I'm sure people don't all do. Some people not even talk about the suicide around you. Then family, yeah. yeah even right. though you're like, we're open, we're open, we're open. Here we are. We, we yeah. We put depression in the right obituary, but then some people still don't want to speak about it. Yeah, for sure. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. For them? For them. Right. Because it's not. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though they probably have so many questions, right? You know they probably yeah. have things that they want to just share or get off their chest, but then that's also weight on you, like you said, to to answer it mm-hmm. or to help them. But general rule of thumb any chance to remember and think about her is good. Is aces. Yep. Even the difficult ones, the difficult memories. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that's how we, you know, find comfort and digest it and reflect on it and plant it to become something. Yeah. Out of the pain and the grief. Yeah. How is it coming up for you now during COVID? Thoughts of your mom? COVID is, New York is not New York, right? And I want the city to be what I am here for it to be. Mm -hmm. But I understand what we have to do as a community in order to protect ourselves and protect each other. And I had COVID in early March. You did. And was just so desperate for you know, comforting parents to Mm -hmm. tell me that it's okay. And it can be a 37 year old woman and get a fever and still like become a baby. I was like, somebody bring me a Gatorade. (laughs) Were you freaking out or were you rational about it? I mean, March is pretty in the thick of it. That's truly did not think this could be COVID. I know COVID's around. I know the city's shut down right now, but come on, I've just got the flu. And then oof, it was certainly COVID hmm. proven by some tests later. But how long did you have it? You know, it's like two or three days of fever. And then I felt so much better and was like going around, like went to my boyfriend's when I felt better and then back in bed for five days. That's what I hear. It's so crazy. Mm-hmm. That's so crazy. My mom would have been volunteering. She would have come mm-hmm. to New York. She would have been proud to on be those a first boats, responder. She would have like gotten on, on the, she mercy ship. loved it. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. She would have been like, I got my Dramamine behind my ear to take care of the seasickness and I'm going to go on this boat. <laughs> Dramamine. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. She couldn't stop. She mm-hmm. spent a lot of time with her patients who just needed to talk, to tell their stories. She was a critical care nurse, a lot of recovering heart attack patients and knew she was therapist, counselor, nurse, mm. mother, all in one. Yeah. Well, I like to end all these calls. I was going to ask you your mom's name, even though you've said it. But I like to ask my guests their mom's name and then tell me how you're feeling about her 
today in this moment, what's been coming up for you? My mom's name was Lois Ann Vanderhoof. And I'm so thankful to smile and tell stories about her. And I'm reflective on how we lost her eight years ago this month. Hmm. Halloween? Halloween. We buried her on Halloween, which just is so funny to me. She loved Halloween. She used to spook and boo her nieces and nephews all the time. And it feels like in a, you know, circle of life way, complete, cyclical, to have gone underground on October 31st. Well, thank you, friend. Thank you, friend. It was a joy to see your face, even same in this context. Yeah. Same. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't wait a moment longer to email you, Caitlin. It was totally worth it. Thanks for sharing your story with us and your mom. You're the best. If you want to see pictures of Caitlin with her mother, you can check out our website, which is mothersgravepod.com. And on that website, you can also see how you can support a nursing scholarship that Caitlin's father set up in her mother's name. It's called the Lois A. Vanderhoff Nursing Scholarship. Caitlin's mother needed scholarships as a single mother when she was starting off in South Bend, Indiana. The income from gifts will support students enrolled full-time in the nursing program at Indiana University South Bend. So go to our website and check it out, click through, and see how you can support the Lois A. Vanderhoff Nursing Scholarship. And if you've been listening to this entire episode, you understand that there are no easy answers or solutions towards depression or suicide. There's no one-stop shop, one easy answer on how you can help. But if you know someone struggling or you might need to talk to someone yourself, I thought I would give you the number to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline so that you have it. It's 1-800-273-8255. You can also get that information on our website for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I want to thank Caitlin again for talking with me. I also want to thank Susie Pond, one of my oldest friends with Redbird Media Group for editing and producing this podcast, Alice Anderson for sound mixing, Notoria Marketing and Design for the website, Meredith Montgomery for the logo and individual episode designs, and Matt Chapman for his theme music. And special thanks to Jill Wolf, my therapist, Heather Bodie, Laura Nicole, Danny Bravman, Jonathan Bode, and all of my friends for your love and support. And to all of you for listening, I recently learned that there are over 700,000 podcasts in the world, which is, that's a lot. So yeah, maybe too many, but thank you for coming back and listening to this one. I really appreciate it. I was recently going through a lot of my grandma's belongings because I was helping her downsize from her apartment of 20 years into a nursing home. And my grandma kept every card that she ever received. So I found cards that I'd written to her when I was five years old. I found cards that my mother wrote to her when she was in college. It was very magical. But my grandma also keeps all of her tax documents from like 1965. She keeps electric bills from the 80s, magazines of Richard Nixon. There was a lot to sift through. 
But in the midst of all that paper, I found a note card, a two by four note card, white, double-sided. And on it was a note in pencil from my mother to my grandma and I from 2006, 2007, when my parents were getting a divorce. It was probably around the height of my mom's depression. She was sleeping a lot. She'd had a back surgery a couple of years before and was probably high on many, many opioids, was probably drinking, and she was certainly having a hard time. My grandma and I flew out to Arizona where my mom was living to help her through this divorce and maybe try to convince her to move back to Illinois. I assume that my mom went back to bed but left this note on the kitchen table the day that my grandma and I flew out of Arizona back to Chicago. On the note, it says, from my mother to my grandmother and I, Mom and Dana, thank you for coming. I'm sorry I was a disappointment, to say the least. There's no excuses from me, but I'm in a rut. I love you two more than anything. My heart is so broken from so many events. I don't know where to start. Psychologist? We'll see. I love you both. I wish I could be on a plane with you. Joe. A two-by-four note card. It's so small, and it's so lethal. I wish I could tell her that my heart is broken from so many events, too, and that she was never a disappointment. I was just disappointed in what happened to her. And over the years, I found many cards like this. I'd just never seen this one. I thought about sharing it again with my 93-year-old grandma, but, you know, Alex Trebek just died, and there's a pandemic, and she doesn't need to see this, because she knows my mom loved us. Talk to you next time.